0: Hello you and welcome to You Are Good a Feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about Midsommar. We're talking about it with the marvelous Emma Buntrock Muller. I'm one of your hosts Alex Steed. I'll soon be joined by my spectacular co-host Sarah Marshall. Midsommar is, of course, a 2019 folk horror film written and directed by Ari Aster. The film stars Florence Pugh and Jack Rayner as a dysfunctional American couple who travel with a group of friends for a Midsommar festival but find themselves in the clutches of a sinister cult claiming to practice Scandinavian paganism. This one has a lot of uh, trigger and content warnings because uh, Midsummer covers all sorts of different things. We talk about the movie's uh, failings when it comes to talking about uh, some mental health stuff uh, we don't touch on the fact that the movie uh, falls into one of the tropes where handicap ultimately is scary although we do talk about that from the mental health perspective but we don't talk about that with regard to other parts about the movie but that is something to consider there's all sorts of writing and thinking on this movie and what it gets right and what it gets wrong we kind of just Grazed at the surface, I would say. We discuss suicide and murder. There's a lot of gaslighting that happens in this movie. There's a lot in this movie uh, that warrants a trigger warning about it, of course, and a trigger warning about our conversation about it. So please just go in knowing that that's the case and know uh, that we're going to talk about all sorts of things that might stir something in you. So... Just want to let you know. And if that is not for you, just know that we have a number of other episodes that you can listen to instead that do not require this sort of content warning up top. How is it going in your world? How are you doing? How are you feeling? I always love hearing from you when you answer this question. People will reach out and let me know what the show is meant to them or what we've gotten right, what we've gotten wrong. They will let me know how their weeks days lives etc are going i love hearing from you so let us know we're on twitter or the uh, social media network formerly known as twitter we are on instagram we're at those places as you are good pod we're elsewhere like blue sky who knows where else we'll be in the future and don't forget that you my friend are good thank you for being here thank you for hanging with us we really appreciate it You Are Good is made possible with and by your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. We talk about all sorts of things over there. Uh, Coming up, we have a Sex in the City bonus episode. It's going to be so much fun. You'll have all sorts of things to think about when it comes to Sex in the City. We're talking about Sex in the City this uh, year in our bonus area we're talking about Hannibal we're talking about all sorts of things we've got a we've got a grief chat coming up we've got all sorts of things for you over in the bonus area if you like this show you'll love our bonus chats and you help make the whole show possible by supporting us there so we appreciate that we appreciate you thanks for everything that's it that's it for this intro I think that's all you need going into this conversation about Midsommar let's uh Check in on the other side and uh go join a cult, shall we? Well, hello Sarah Marshall.
1: Skull, Alex
0: Steed. <laughs> Have you found any uh pubes in your tea lately?
1: every day. Have you seen any horror movies with a big maypole in them? Aside from The Wicker Man, of course.
0: I certainly have. Um, I have a great appreciation for any horror that dares to be uh, bright from start to finish. The best. Today, we are talking about Midsommar, and we're talking about it with Emma Buntrock Muller. 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 Sorry, God, we just, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Midsommar, yes, please leave this in, with Emma Buntrock-Muller. Hello, Emma.
2: It's actually Muller. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's Miller. It's totally unimportant. (laughs) It's Marley. Uh, You know, that kind of leads into the first debate I have whenever I talk about Midsommar, is I always feel like I'm being pretentious, like mid. Samar.
0: Like it's how it's. And
2: when other, when other people say midsummer, it's how it's spelled. I'm not trying to be fancy. I'm just trying to say it right.
0: Emma, you're a person who I know via TikTok, uh, whose commentary I am always refreshed by and always appreciate, which is rare in the horror uh, spectrum. And I, mm. no offense to horror folks, but sometimes it just takes, and you are really thinking about shit on another level. <laughs> I appreciate it. And and when I reached out we were like what should we do? And you had pitched this movie.
2: Yes. And since you uh we had met for lack of a better way of saying it via TikTok, this is also a film that had a lot of discourse within my algorithm of the horror community of people feeling very differently about
0: what this film means. Hmm. And we and Sarah and I uh covered Rosemary's Baby earlier this year. In this, mm-hmm. And so I had that lens in my brain watching it this time. And there's so much to say about this film's legacy and sort of where it comes from and what movies it reminds of. So I can't wait to talk about all this. Yes. Sarah, before we do, do you want to take us to Sweden?
1: I do. I want to reluctantly announce my trip to Sweden to <laughs> you and then Passive-aggressively, not say you can't come with me. Oh my
0: god, Sarah, we haven't even... This is a grad school boyfriend movie.
1: It's a grad school boyfriend movie. The ultimate horror. And Ari Aster, I'm sure, was himself a grad school boyfriend, so he knows that it's, you know,
2: it gets bad. Uh, (laughs) Him saying that this is about... I I love this movie, Ari Aster seems like a cool enough guy, so this is just, like, me projecting... (laughs) but the fact that he well, he was contacted by a Swedish production company after they read the script for Hereditary and said will you do a Swedish folklore and he's like well this is a good wow. movie to insert my uh, about my terrible breakup and i'm like imagine being the person that was part of the breakup with Ari Aster and this is the movie that inspired him <laughs> your breakup it's like well you know i wasn't that bad
1: please I would never stop talking about it. I would tell everyone about it.
0: Absolutely. I would put it on a business card. For sure. <laughs> yes. The
1: inspiration for Mitsumar. Because <laughs> doesn't it imply that like he is this guy and like part of the horror of this movie is that this is an easy guy to be because he's just like noncommittal. He doesn't communicate. He's passive aggressive. He's like not fully in it. Um, but nobody notices because he has broad shoulders and no one in humanities academia has broad shoulders. So he's going to be fine forever relationship wise. Well, but, but he won't. <laughs> so midsummer uh, opens in a very intense way. I think Ariaster. I've talked to people about the idea of like, what's his trauma? What's his deal? He seems like he's had a pretty wholesome life and it's like, We don't know really what each other's lives are like, but I would argue that one of his traumas is the fear of his parents dying, which is a reasonable fear to have. (laughs) It's not like it's something that happens and you're like, oh, I don't know what I was afraid of for all these years. This is actually (laughs) fine. (laughs) But anyway, it opens with Florence Pugh as a character who has just received a message from her sister saying basically i'm done i'm gonna kill myself and our parents too and so she is panicked trying to call their house trying to get back to them we open with a shot where we see the parents breathing which like i don't know it doesn't really imply that she could have does done anything from where she is but makes everything so much worse she calls her boyfriend who's like you're being dramatic and her his friends are like "Ugh, when are you gonna dump her she's such a killjoy the girl whose sister is currently murdering her parents at this very
2: minute. She's the worst. You should get a therapist. One of them says. I can't remember which one, but that is a line that I'm like. Is it the red-haired guy that's like
0: Swedish women, right? It's the one who. Yeah, it's the one who pees. Yeah, like.
2: Yeah, okay, the yeah. most
1: annoying guy. We have most annoying, men annoying, and the guy who's doing his midsummer thesis and is grabby about his uh, his academic material. Cheaty from The Good Place. <laughs> oh my God, that's cheaty. Okay, yes. We have Most Annoying, Mid Annoying, and cheaty. It kind of
2: feels uh, like a very direct message from Ari Oster when the, the first shot we see about this film is Stark Winter. Dark Stark Winter. And the title yeah. of the film goes against the snow. So the world she lives in—it's dark, it's isolating, it's lonely—and I—I'm not the moral police, okay? <laughs> but there are certain things that, like, that I can't help but feel, even though I know mm-hmm. that it's not the intent of the film or the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. But when Danny is talking to Christian, her boyfriend, about her sister's seemingly cryptic message. He, and she's like well she can't help it he's like this is probably just another cry for like a call for attention mm-hmm. and she's like well she has bipolar disorder now i i know there's no harm meant in that but i'm like really i, I i've been a um, volunteer for in our own voices for uh nami and all that kind of stuff not that i need to be to have feelings about it but I, to me i'm like we didn't need you know people can have extreme emotions and it does. i just don't like it when they put a diagnosis to a character when it really doesn't need to be there that's said and done i just had to say it Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i'm i'm glad you did i feel like it's like there's two kind of egregious things that happened in this movie that i love like i unequivocally love this movie but like assigning bipolar disorder to the girl who murders her family Mm -hmm. was pretty wildly unnecessary (laughs) like she could have just murdered the family with not would she could have just murdered the family
1: Yeah. And I think horror movies don't need to pretend to be about any kind of actual mental health because that's not if it's not something you're actually interested in, then you shouldn't pretend to be interested in it. It's a great movie about relationships,
0: though. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. And so after basically everybody dies, Christian, who is our boyfriend character, has been on the verge of breaking up with Danny, Florence Pugh's character. Um, who is living in her Ikea-furnished New York <laughs> psychology <laughs> grad student apartment. But now he can't, and so he's reluctantly in the relationship with a person overwhelmed with grief. And six months later, she finds out that he and three of his grad school friends, most annoying and cheaty, remember he the boyfriend, Christian, is mid-annoying, and also their Swedish friend, Pele, And yeah, she finds out basically that Danny finds out that her boyfriend has been planning this trip to Sweden for six weeks to go to the commune that Pele grew up on because they're having their nine day long midsummer festivities. And one question I have about this movie is, do we depict nine days of festivities in the movies? It feels like three days. They don't.
2: How are they going to top this? Well, I think the rest is just fun times, is my guess. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, like, like okay, we've done all the sacrifices, and now it's just party time. I think that makes sense. No, you got to have fun, so anybody that might have some residual feelings about the murders... Might, like, forget because they're having so much fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, based on what we've seen here, I'm pretty sure people just keep eating stuff that they're not informed about what they're eating and then have a have a grand time.
1: To be fair, that's what Americans
0: do. Absolutely. Eat <laughs> this. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> all right. So, so they're all going to Sweden. Hooray! They're going to northern Sweden. It's the summer solstice. It's basically light all day and all night. There's, like, a couple of hours of dusk. And we arrive and we've established Danny as somebody who like, it feels like, I mean, we can talk more about the, how this relationship works, but I would describe it briefly as like she and her boyfriend are locked in a dance of non-communication. And she also is someone who is like periodically just like grief crashes over her in a wave and she has to go cry and like keen somewhere. She's in the keening phase. But you also get the sense that, like, she can't do this in front of her boyfriend. She doesn't have a person in her life who she can grieve in front of.
0: The issue with Danny, whether or not her sister did something for whatever reason works better in my opinion if it, she just comes from a family that has like a maladjusted attachment style <laughs> you know what i mean as like, most like, of us do totally, a solid 95 exactly.
1: percent. it's
0: very relatable that that you come from a maladjusted sort of uh attachment style within a family and then you just don't know how to be in a healthy relationship for a couple decades
2: <laughs> a couple decades is a very modest projection yeah a Christian, Danny's boyfriend, not only in their relationship, he just doesn't want to make a decision because uh, mm. he doesn't know what he might want later. Or, so, or some guys or folks would say, hey, what if I can't do better? He doesn't say that, but he does say, what if I do want her later? You know, like he can't. Yeah. Like having someone on retainer. <laughs> uh, but he also doesn't make any decisions with, because besides Danny, who is a psychology student, mm-hmm. All of the others are anthropology students uh, working on their thesis to some degree. Um, only one seems to be really actually doing it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it comes up a lot that he d- hasn't made a decision about what he's going to do in his thesis and what direction he wants to take. So he's just a person that through pacifism and nihilism with all the things they experience with the Harga, that he just always explains it away. And part of me feels like in times... He kind of works as not a character sometimes, but for me, I feel he's like a part of Danny that's like kind of like instead of like, well, that's messed up. What do I do? It's like, no, no, no. Let's let's be open-minded. This is their culture, kind mm-hmm. of a thing, kind of explaining away something something that's very messed up. Or to quote
1: Lisa in Fame, did that hurt or is it ethnic? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I think that there are a lot of parallels with Rosemary's baby, but their relationship is just Rosemary and Guy.
1: We have a couple guys, I think, because Pele is Guy as well, I feel like.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, we have a lot of the ways that Rosemary gets treated by Guy represented in this movie by different characters. And one just being like, hey, don't worry about it. There's no reason to worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. This
1: is the cult of don't even worry about it. (laughs) I don't know if you guys saw the director's
2: cut or the theatrical cut. I have not seen the director's cut. I'm curious about what's in it. One of the part that really kind of clearly defines Danny and Kristen's relationship is in a scene that is not in the theatrical cut. So they see this other potentially messed up thing that the cult's going to do, sacrifice this young man, and it do- ends up not happening. And Danny's like, you know what? This is ridiculous. We got to get out of here. They're having a fight in the field. And he's like, you know what? You know I'm changing my thesis on this. You don't care about me. And don't think I didn't notice the whole passive-aggressive thing with the flowers. So the thing with the flowers is we remember during dinner, Christian forgets her birthday. Mm-hmm. okay, And she acts like it's not a big deal. And then the next day at dinner, a lot of women are picking flowers. And Danny's just picking flowers with them. And she gives the flowers just like you know passively nicely like hey here you go Mm -hmm. to her boyfriend christian Mm -hmm. then the next night he's like you don't think i didn't know what that means and i felt the anger within me bubble so much like because i like i felt like i've had an argument like that or he's implying he's like don't think i don't think that means something because i forgot your birthday and i didn't give you anything for your birthday and she's she doesn't even Mm. know what he's talking about when he says bouquet of flowers because to her it was just a small like it didn't mean anything Mm -hmm. so i'm sorry i like my my you can't see me folks but my shoulders have raised because i'm like oh my god are you insane (laughs) like because people making things that aren't it's it's such a really true like this is like the end of a relationship people we're not Mm -hmm. our best always Mm -hmm. when things don't work out between people so it's it's an argument i've not had this particular argument but i've had one like it so i really feel that yeah Like your feelings are invalid and you're manipulative and it's wait, what?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And he's also, as we established in the opening scene, got friends who are like, this is abuse. She's abusing you because she has (laughs) called him a second time that night. And I mean, to give some context, this movie, like really, I think I feel like dominated the zeitgeist, not just of people who are into horror, but people who don't normally like horror and people who don't, Normally watch horror movies watched and liked Midsommar. And I feel like one of the things that it does really well is like maintain a setting in the real world that's not in the horror template. In many ways, I would argue it doesn't have like the standard beats of a lot of horror movies it's very long which always makes people feel like they've done something more important and artistic (laughs) and that it like shows the horror of actual life as we live it and one of the main aspects of horror in everyday life for a lot of us is our relationships
0: yeah absolutely and and the the dynamic that Emma had just pointed out i find that resonant where it's like someone feels guilty for a thing that they know they should have done and then ends up sort of like lashing out in a number of different ways as a means of like not owning the fact that they feel guilty mm-hmm. all of those dynamics of the way that we are after the relationship has passed its date but you're still together are The true horror of a movie that has some of the most horrific imagery I've ever seen in movies. Those are second to the way that continuing to exist in a dead relationship feels.
1: Yeah. We should talk about the first horrific thing they see. It's hard to even pick which one you mean, but let's get into it. So they go to Sweden, huzzah. They rent a car. They're not even going through Stockholm, bro. (laughs) They go straight up to this pasture where the youths who have been out in the world getting graduate degrees with annoying Americans or whatever are kind of, I don't know, camping out in a liminal space, maybe spending the night after they arrive and then setting off in the morning. And so... The guys want to do shrooms that they got from Pele's brother Ingmar, And Danny's like, oh, I don't want to do shrooms until I get settled in. A reasonable idea. And her boyfriend, Christian, is like, okay, I won't do them either. And then his friends are like, bro, we'll be having completely different trips, bro. You got to take them now, bro. They don't really say bro that many times, but you know.
2: The bro is so heavily implied. It's there.
0: It's implied. It's there. It's a
2: silent bro. I said silent bro
0: (laughs) at the end of every sentence.
1: (laughs) Sometimes even every clause. And so... Danny's like, okay, I'll do mushrooms with you guys. It's fine. Let's all do mushrooms together. Which is like, yeah, such a such a familiar behavior and also such a classic girlfriend behavior that you learn where you're like, why don't I just like learn to believe that I really will enjoy doing this thing that I definitely don't want to do because it minimizes the conflict for everybody. So cut to everybody being on shrooms freaking out. And Danny is not in a good place to receive them because she's kind of plunged back into the trauma of what happened that night um, with her family. And so she like runs for it and then just falls asleep in a field and wakes up and it's the morning time and they're going to go to see the Horga. And so they hike up to the lovely compound where the Horga live. And I feel like this aesthetic is so familiar and has become such a part of... Our culture. A lot of people wore little Horga costumes the year this movie came out for Halloween. But Alex, tell us about Horga Land. Would you make a theme park of this movie? I would. I would go.
0: Yeah, it's like there are uh, a lot of runes. There's a lot of flowers. There's flowers everywhere. There's um, like better homes and gardens would love a lot of the structures, uh, a lot of stuff that was sort of uh, handmade. Everyone's wearing some sort of white or robe or apron or dress there's a lot of like communal sleeping spaces uh that have that are all decorated with a lot of sort of like symbols and imagery that tell stories of the history
2: everything that happens in the movie is in all of the pictures around that place all of it all of it's there and but the music they play like if they played spooky foreboding music we'd be like oh shit but when because they, they, they'll mm-hmm. scan over these pictures and and but they have the chipper music, you know, we're in a beautiful place. Ari Oster described it as the Wizard of Oz for perverts. It's interesting.
0: <laughs> I think the thing that is accomplished by it being so bright and the music sort of never being like ominous music or the fact that like all the paintings are telling about what is going to happen or what has happened is that, you know, you get this sense of being Like, to the people who are portrayed in the movie, like, these aren't scary or bad things. Like, these are part of a process of their, quote, intentional community. Like, this is how things operate. Things are going to plan. Things are working. And there are very few people there who are upset or nervous or threatened by that it's the people who are our protagonists and it gives the sense of being like overwhelmed and totally surrounded by the fact that like not only is this happening everyone thinks this is cool like everyone thinks this is Mm -hmm. fine and how discordant and terrifying that would be to be one of those people
1: yes yeah and i feel like that's you know a way that i would there's a lot of wicker man dna in this movie and one of them is just that you're looking at a community of people who seem like very happy with the way they're living their lives. And that makes you feel nuts. (laughs) And also the outsiders are clearly more unhappy and repressed than anyone living in this community. And it makes you think, and it feels weird. Right.
0: right.
2: (laughs) Well, they all have their own different ways of reacting to it. Like after the first event, the couple that isn't part of Danny's group Mm-hmm. Uh, their names are Connie and Steven they're brought by a different guy they're the first ones that react to the first ceremony with the older people they have not immediately no we're leaving mm-hmm. like they have the, everyone else kind of finds a way to, to like calm down and our jester his name's Mark the red hair the, the jester it's of the group most annoying yeah doesn't go to that ceremony and he's like God the one thing I just sleep through like he's bummed that he missed it but we we should go into it. I don't remember what's called.
1: Neither Alex, do you remember?
0: Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. But we get it. We get a bit of a spiel r- earlier on about the cycles of life within the community, mm-hmm. and they run. I think is it is it by sixteen or eighteen. years? Eighteen years. So, yeah. So like so. You get these cycles that align to the seasons. Sarah, you must love this because of the seasonality represented, but like each... I, each...
1: Kind of, but also I'm going to be 36 in like nine months. <laughs> Time to work. Um. The age of the laborer. No, thank you. Working is for the young and raising babies in a commune is for
0: the old. <laughs> <laughs> and we hear we hear that the end, uh, that sort of like the cycle wraps at seventy two, and they mm-hmm. ask Pele like what happens at seventy two.
1: Meaningfully, Danny asks because none of the guys think to ask. Right,
0: think to ask, and yeah, and, and, and Pele gives the throat slip motion jokingly, but it's it's real.
1: Yeah. So we to get to what we're talking about, they're like time to have. A nice, special ceremonial dinner, and we have these two elders, and they're like the stars of the dinner. Um, that's nice. They're really honoring their elders, and then they carry them a- on a litter carried by other people. And you're like, oh, that's nice. That's so nice. And then they carry them to these cliffs, and everyone's standing underneath the cliffs like the end of Lost and Delirious. And you're like, oh, I wonder why they're standing on those cliffs They sure are standing on the cliffs, and that old lady is looking at Florence Pugh. And then, of course, they jump off the cliffs. And the man who jumps off the cliff is also the teen boy from Death in Venice. Oh, wow. A
2: now very old movie. Oh, my God. That adds so much to it. It really does. I really felt it because I have a sensitivity about age, and it kind of adds to the story in the sense that because uh, Bjorn Anderson, who was labeled the most beautiful boy in the world and he inspired yeah. a lot of the way even manga was drawn because he went to japan after <laughs> the death in venice and he was raised mm-hmm. by his maternal grandparents who cared about more so his fame and weren't really there to protect him mm. from being so young in, in a predatory environment so it kind of links back to not to take someone's real life mm-hmm. and but it links back to the Idea that maybe Danny didn't have, the, you know, certain protections from her family, and the idea of people mm. needing connection and family being more vulnerable to groups like the Harga. But then also the symbolism that doesn't connect to the story that because he doesn't die on impact and is screaming—that's mm-hmm. when we first hear the Harga do like this group screaming. And they take the hammer and they punch him right in the face. It's kind of like, I not want punch, but hammer him right in the face. Which is kind of like destroying what was the beauty that kind of da- mm. like damned the rest of his life. So there's a lot of <laughs> meaning behind that. Wow. I don't, I couldn't, I tried to find it. I couldn't find if, because he doesn't act really. He's not like regularly mm. lo- looking for acting jobs. So I don't know if uh, Ari Oster somehow met him. I was like, oh, you know, you'd be great to be in this movie or if he sought him out so i'm not sure
1: Hmm. i like to think that he had just had some success and it was like he had some power and he was like get me the death in venice boy (laughs)
2: get me the most beautiful boy in the world and we will smash his face exactly all respect to Bjorn
0: Anderson, of course. Yeah, and I love, I really, like, I obviously, I didn't know any of that, or not obviously, but I didn't know any of that. And I, I I, remember seeing this in the theater for the first time and loving this sequence so much, specifically because it's, like, so much is happening outside of even just, like, all of the subtextual pieces one being the lead up that Sarah talks about where you're like, what's happening? And you're like, oh, this is happening. Oh, OK. This is saying a lot about what's going on with everybody here, including our how our protagonists respond.
1: Well, the only thing worse than a ritual suicide is a ruined ritual suicide that has Americans <laughs> screaming and gagging during it, which really yes. throws you off of your rhythm and yes. maybe fucks up your aim when you think about it.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it was the British couple first. I think they referred to him as British. Yeah. That's right. Why am I hastening to blame the Americans? Yeah. Uh, well, it's usually us. But immediately <laughs> during the ceremony, they're leaving. They're saying, no, absolutely not during the ceremony. And then one of the members of the Harga says to the guy that brought them there that isn't Pele, that I can't remember his name for some reason. Ingmar. Ingmar. They, they say to him in Swedish, didn't you explain this to him?
0: Although I will say, as a person who, <laughs> you gotta be careful. As a person who recently lost his grandmother to just long old age and her constantly just being like, I'm waiting for it to happen. I just hope that it happens soon. How old was she? She was 90 or she was a couple of days shy of 90. Mm-hmm. I don't wish that she had had to jump off a cliff. I don't wish that she got hit by a mallet until she died. Good to no. know. But I do good I just want to clarify. You have to clarify <laughs> these things as
1: You're you're getting out in front of the mallet issue here. As
0: we all know, you can't just assume that people know your intentions. It's tiring, I know. <laughs> I do think the thing that we do, which is just go, you stay in this room and just wait to die forever until it finally Mm -hmm. happens is like not a healthier take on death.
1: (laughs) Right. It's, and nor, nor is it even less dramatic.
0: Right. (laughs) We're just like, let's take the misery and stretch it out. And we're comfortable with it. And then if people confront us with it, it's bad.
2: It's like, Hey, how can we make your death easier for us? Like it's not, or it's not so bloody and upsetting to watch. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And one of the
1: great things about horror is that I think horror movies, more than any other genre, are always deeply in conversation with other horror movies. Right. And that this movie is like feels so much like The Wicker Man, feels so much like Rosemary's Baby, has like, you know, other correspondences that we could draw to it, but is clearly doing something original and big and new with those parts. Like all horror movies are like cars made out of other cars (laughs) in the best way. And so, yeah. So we witness the ritual and then it's time for lunch or possibly (laughs) dinner. It's hard to tell. Everything's equally brightly lit. And they all have meat pies. Yum. And Christian gets a meat pie with a pube in it. And we have learned from our iconography that this is simply if you are trying to mate with a guy, you just put a pube in his pie and it works a charm. And to be fair, it does work out in this movie. So. I don't know.
0: Again, not to compare, but our rituals for getting this done are no less strange.
1: That's so true. Especially the pickup artist side of things. Oh,
0: yeah. I'll take it over some of the other dating expectations that have uh, uh, that have been on the table when doing the whole apps thing. So, yeah. Put a pube in a pie if that's how you get to tell me about it.
1: <laughs> uh, everybody has what looks like lemonade and Christian has what looks like grapefruit juice. But does that mean Maya, his, the cute little red-haired cultist... Has put some some blood in there. I think there's
0: a little tempting blood. Yes.
1: I also just realized what I think Christian looks like. I think he looks like he was built out of spare Hemsworth parts. Yes,
0: absolutely, totally. He looks like the like what Danny DeVito is to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Twins of uh the of the Chris's.
1: Well, you know, like when you your make you make a pie crust and then you end up with all the little
0: edge bits and you're like, well, I want to do
1: something with these.
0: Absolutely, I'll make a little other pie. He doesn't know how to make a decision for the life of him and he looks like it like he looks like a guy who has not made a decision in every one of his years of being
2: mm-hmm. alive. he's the type of guy we don't know what his family situation is in any way we don't know anything besides his relationship with Danny but he seems like the kind of guy mom does his laundry mom takes care of everything and then eventually finds a wife to be his mom you know he seems like that type <laughs> of guy to me yeah.
1: And that's not a good personality to bring to a cult
2: or a relationship. <laughs> or a
1: relationship.
2: <laughs> Nobody wants to be somebody's mom unless you are actually their mother. So,
1: yeah. And yeah, even and then, then, it's not always.
2: You
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> and and let me tell you, like toddlers are so much cuter than adult men. Like yeah. adult men do not flop all over the couch in nearly the same way.
0: Well, and there's, you know, it's kind of, it's perfect that this is like a grad student because, you know, I don't, I don't mean to stereotype, but but, but. <laughs> often if you've been going to school since you were five and you're now 25, mm-hmm. your chances of, you know, trial by fire and learning about what life is like outside of a Mm -hmm. pretty coddled environment and experiencing those, uh, you know, it's, it's minimal.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I'll agree with that because that is my life history, but also I would say that like, academia is a difficult place in the sense that it's like mm. it's like sectioned off from a lot of the world but it's like there's very few resources it's like been in an attitude of scarcity for decades it's only getting more intense but like what that doesn't teach you is any kind of active problem solving well put. it teaches you how to stay locked in detente with everyone forever
0: <laughs> very well put <laughs> even his friends don't really like him that much no his friends don't like him very much either which is kind of great i like yeah i like how tenuous everything is um sarah what what happens happens what happens in (laughs) midsummer
1: what i'll tell you so they have their post execution lunch which is super fun and basically christian decides that he's also gonna study he decides he's gonna study the horga he goes and tells chidi and chidi's like this is like the most like shit ass thing to do. Like you're just doing my thing. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm doing a different thing. You're studying Midsummer and I'm studying this cult. And we just have a little bit of overlap. And Shady's very, I'm just gonna call him Shady. It brings me joy. with <laughs> me. Is understandably upset by this because it feels like, you know, Christian has seen him treating the horga as if they have value and therefore understood them to have value as a research subject because someone else values them and so both of them are getting interested in the ruby roter rota something like that ruby Rhoda. their sacred book of prophecies i think oh that thing with all the smudges on it yeah yeah the thing with all the smudges their sacred smudge book <laughs> and she wakes up and sneaks off to go look at it And he is summarily executed. And so is their pal most annoying because he peed on a sacred tree, which you shouldn't do.
0: This is the thing that really stood out to me as a person who likes to believe that he's always trying to grow a little bit is, Mm -hmm. I, you know, he's like what it's dead. And then they're yelling at him and he doesn't apologize. He just says, I didn't know. I didn't know. And it's like, it's such a classic Mm It's like a very male, very American, very sort of like toxic. You should have told me not to pee on it. Right. You could just say, oh, my God, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I can't believe that is not in his response. No. And so I I saw that blazingly this time. I feel like in a way I haven't before.
2: Well, for me, with these characters, besides Danny, who works as the audience in a way as well, Mm -hmm. and Florence Mm -hmm. Pugh. Big fan, love her. Um, so good. I love her too. Controversial opinion. <laughs> Controversial. She's amazing, Miss Flo. But that's a whole other story. I feel like it's using common horror tropes in its in a different way, but it's like a slasher film where uh, we usually have annoying teens, where one is the slut, one's the dumb jock. So they all have their own sins they commit that would make that where we're like, well, they're annoying. It doesn't matter if Jason Voorhees slashes them open in a sleeping bag hanging from a tree. So I mean, we all know that these are not actual sins that people are made to die for, but we're kind of led into a horror narrative in the sense that they all do something wrong, wrong, quote unquote.
1: It's totally a slasher in in an amazing way. It's it might be the most high concept slasher of them all.
2: Totally. And for the. The British couple, they immediately reject the cult after they see the ritual suicide. That's messed up. We're leaving. That's the. Sin and I'm 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 doing quotation marks with my fingers for people to know <laughs> I don't consider these things sins. Mm-hmm. The sin that they commit to the cult, and I think the cult pretty much knows who's really going to be the one that falters and who's not. Yeah, the jester, his name's Mark, the redhead, the guy that pees on the sacred tree, and he, also he just like says, oh, isn't there? Th- uh, is not does anyone going to tell them they're doing it wrong when the woman? And he just continually says like la- things loud. That he doesn't take anything in the community seriously. That's his sin. And I love that he has a little jester hat on in the end. I love that detail.
1: <laughs> I feel like the trio of guys are like id ego and super ego.
2: Yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> Ooh,
2: that's a good way to put it. So I feel like the audience is led into the usual, uh, a typical horror narrative of like, well, they did these things. And and we know as the audience, and uh we and we know in reality that they don't deserve any kind of Punishment besides being kicked out, you know. But they all do commit these sins, and then they're filled with straw at the end, which makes me think of the Wizard of Oz comparison, like oh my the scarecrow yeah. thing. No brains. Someone gets stuffed into a bear
1: if he only had the courage, kind of. <laughs> I, uh, well, I only had the nerve. Oh my god, yeah, the no, the noise, the noise. But yeah, that uh, that this is, I think, to me, works so well as a movie about, you know, partly about how people are drawn both to certain relationships and also certain cults because of personal trauma and the need to belong to something or someone. Um, And kind of seeing the needs that Danny is addressing in this cult environment is I think so relatable for so many people or else why would so many of us have felt such a resonance with this movie and have worn this costume. And so, yeah, so that's our first day. And then day two, is really like the back half of this movie is the big May Queen day, or I guess like the last hour is. And the whole movie unfolds really slowly and gives a lot of space around events. And we spend a lot of time with like sound and images in a way that I really love. And so day two, basically Christian and Danny are left. The Brits have been killed off off screen. And (laughs) they're going to have a dance marathon for the crowning of the May Queen. And they drink this like tea for the competition which of course makes everybody trip and they dance for so long and danny is like loving it and christian is like off somewhere else he's being talked to by the cult people about how he's been approved astrologically to breed with maya the cute little redheaded cultist <laughs> And then he also is given some special trippy drink, and so while the dance marathon is happening, and Danny is winning, she's winning the dance marathon, and she previously saw a wall of photos of the previous May Queens, which is a perfect Wicker Man homage that I love. And meanwhile, her terrified tripping boyfriend stumbles off, and what do you know? He ends up in the mating barn where there's a line of swaying naked women and his intended is lying on a bed of flowers and as porn searches today would put it he breathes her (laughs) and then they're like moaning sexually and the other women are moaning sexually because this cult does this thing I would love to hear you guys describe this and we saw this happen earlier when Danny was crying and reacting to the ritual suicide she stumbled into a group of girls who like surrounded her and mimicked her emotions and it's like it's the it's like a musical thing that they're doing in a way
2: well they say everything it belongs to everyone so they do the group Mm. wailing or um release grief whatever it is and so we see it with the sexual experience with all the women and him in the barn and we see it when uh, when Bjorn Anderson hasn't doesn't die on impact, they're wailing, feeling his pain. And later on when two of the members of the Harga are volunteered again to be burned mm-hmm. in a in, in a hut. They when the fire hits them, all the whole group wails. It's like, you know, we are borg. That <laughs> it's just kind of like they feel everything
0: collectively. It's like they've taken the very American response, which is like, you feel rage, I'll feel rage along with you. And they've uh, expanded it to other feelings as well. Pretty cool.
1: Uh, (laughs) Although sometimes you want a little privacy. Yeah. (laughs) And so she wins the May Queen dance. She's the last dancer standing. Um, And then she wanders over to the mating barn and sees what's going on and then runs out. And we get these beautiful scenes cutting back and forth between the girls like keening with her and the mating women like swaying and making mating sounds while the couple does it on a bed of flowers. And then once he comes while holding another woman's hand, he uh, Christian realizes that in the words of Mark Corrigan, they've just stolen some sperm off him. And the nice thing about this cult is that they only need one shot. They have sex with you once and then they're like, okay, bye bye.
0: <laughs> yeah, we got we got earlier some like, exposition and all I think all the exposition in this movie is done really well in ways where it feels like it's actually being conversations about the history it doesn't feel like it's like and this is happening for this reason Mm -hmm. we have heard that because there are obviously limited sexual prospects in a closed group and because they quote respect the incest taboo they need to bring people in from the outside occasionally in order to expand the group So that's that's part of the reason why we have these outsiders here is to to expand the group.
1: Yeah. And also because sometimes you need to execute someone annoying. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, Christian breeds with Maya and now he's no longer necessary. And he stumbles across the body of not Milo, uh, who has been strung up in a chicken coop in a really fun way.
2: Is that Milo? Yeah, that's Stephen, who is also Milo, uh, the British guy. Yeah. He, that's something that they don't know if they actually did the Vikings. It's written about, no. but they don't. No one's actually ever done it to see if it's something that can actually be done. But it's theoretically possible where you have somebody's lungs taken outside their body and they're still breathing. And it's a very long way to die wow and his lungs are still moving in the movie mm-hmm. but it's hard to say because there's a lot of people tripping going on and we see the sister in right. the trees it's hard to say whether that's us seeing things through that perspective or if he actually is kind of alive right but it is awful
1: <laughs> if I were a viking I would kill someone in a less labor intensive way than that <laughs> but it's a, it's a great horror movie scene
2: hey they love labor in the harga they love it <laughs> Someone of laboring age did that. <laughs> but they had a dinner like before the sexy time and after the whole, she's like the May queen, but she doesn't have the full outfit on. And there's rotting meat on the table, which was originally an accident because they had to s- do this scene over a few days. Hmm. And which reminded me, hmm. of course, it's in an open space, so it's not as bad. But it reminded me so much of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre because they had to have all the windows closed <laughs> in the heat and filming in that house with, like, head cheese rotting. Uh, I always love a Texas Chainsaw Massacre memory. Totally. And also when Chidi's killed... One of the guys that of the two men that kill him has the jester, Mark's skin, pulled over his face. And it looks so real. It looks so real. It's so spooky. And also very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's very amazing. I love it. (laughs) I love
1: everything. I didn't think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre resonances in this before. But yeah, it's totally. Well, I guess like the brightness of everything, which is. Such a special thing in a horror movie, and yeah, being like the guest of honor at a random family's long dinner table, yeah, very scary. Very.
2: They're just a little less hickish, you know. They're not as totally. it's a different like oh we're civilized. Just different accents. Yeah. They're a lot cleaner. They're a lot cleaner. Sweaty.
1: Yeah,
2: but that's about it. You know, and they don't go get grandpa. Grandpa already jumped off the cliff. So I don't. I'm <laughs> yeah. not saying it's like intentionally supposed to be like Touch of on Massacre. I oh. I, I
1: think so though. Yeah. And to finish in brief, Danny is the May queen. Hooray. And then it's time for their, I guess that the conclusion of the, their second of nine days of festivities. And I guess after this, they're going to be like, and now Wilson Phillips, has come all the way here to perform for us, but it's still day two. And so they're like, well, we've killed four outsiders and that all has gone really well. And now we need to kill four. Other people and Ingmar with the mushrooms is sur- surrendering his life, and also this other guy. And Danny, as our May Queen, it's your job to choose who will die your boyfriend or a random cult member. And she's like, Well, I hate to be that person, but yes, my boyfriend, kill my boyfriend. Not in so many words. And so, then basically, we have the giant. Barn burning human sacrifice making scene, which I think is wonderfully done. Another Wicker Man correspondence where you're watching these people kind of like gleefully, you know, embracing life, saying they're accepting death, they are one with the seasons. And then you watch the terror and suffering of the people they're sacrificing, and you're like, mm, still doesn't feel great. And then Danny, looking first conflicted in her giant flower dress. And then she smiles. A smile for the ages. End of movie. Midsummer. Beautiful. The poor bear.
0: Yeah. The bear was really didn't have it coming. Shouldn't have.
1: I don't know. What if that bear was also a non committal boyfriend? We don't know.
2: <laughs> or maybe it was the mother bear he wanted all along.
1: No, oh, that's true. I think a lot of men secretly want to climb inside of a bear. And that's fine.
0: Agreed.
2: I so do we see this as because um, a lot because a lot of the debate about it is like, is it a good for her movie? And I think I think it's for me, sometimes folks misunderstand the good for her. Like another one that people mention will mention it, is Carrie.
1: Can you describe good for her? Because I don't really understand that as a concept. It's hard to describe. So this is based on the Lucille Bluth moment. Which one? This is a clip from Arrested Development where Lucille Bluth is eating cake and watching a news report of what seems to be based on Susan Smith about a woman who killed her children and saying, good for her.
2: (laughs) It kind of a little bit in a sense that like uh, one that's mentioned is Carrie. Uh, Mm Because, you know, Carrie just the good for her. We all know the truly good for her ending to that story, which doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. is she just wants to go on a nice, date feel like a normal teenager and have a nice evening
1: yeah she does she wants a corsage she
2: wants the corsage she wants to dance she just wants to feel normal like she doesn't want to have to think about her mother and Chris. so when she kills everybody <laughs> yeah um mm-hmm. that's well most everybody that's and people like good for her because everyone was mean to her it's kind of right. like um the idea that we all know It's not really a good for her. And then people don't, you know, shitty teenagers are shitty teenagers. They shouldn't be murdered. But within (laughs) that particular moment, isolated moment, there is a feeling of catharsis. People that have, can relate Mm -hmm. to Carrie. So when it comes to Danny, when it comes to the particular moment where her smile looks a little crazed to me, but I do Mm -hmm. think in that particular moment, There is a little catharsis. Overall, with this whole story, no. And her future, probably not. It feels like she's entering into a different non-healthy relationship. When that being her relationship with this cult, assuming that's what happens. Mm -hmm. But it's like in the moment. Like there's a moment of catharsis for people that can relate to Danny and for Danny. But it's not meant to be the overall message. It's not meant to be a happy ending. It is definitely meant to feel like one and that was Ari Aster's intent to feel like a happy ending. Mm.
0: Well, cuz like even if it's not, I mean, it's a nice bit of punctuation where finally we do see this person who is struggling in all sorts of ways, both like interpersonal and within her relationship and within her, you know, kind of settling for being like this is fine for me even though I'm not getting anything out of this. It's a nice and very satisfying bit of punctuation to see that she has finally realized that the relationship is bad and we get to see that in the most visually dynamic way possible.
1: (laughs) That is what it is. And it is, and right, and you're like, well, Danny, ideally you wouldn't have left this realization so late and carried it out in such an extreme way, but like horror movies are not about healthy relationship practices, are they?
0: (laughs) They tend not to be. Yeah. I, I've really, like, I loved all of these portrayals again of like the horror of the reality of their relationship and the details of the reality of their relationship. Some of the pieces that made me cringe the most again, are not mallet to the head or, or pulverized leg from, from a faulty fall. It's, it was my fault. He didn't remember my birthday. Like, Those were like the big, big ones for me that like really sort of hit me in the gut. Her constant defense of this guy, because to her, the alternative is like being alone. And at least Mm -hmm. I'm not going to speak for all of us, but I've certainly been there, Mm -hmm. you know, and seeing what she puts up with. And then by the end, you know. And Emma, you were saying this, that she's like, she has this one relationship. She also has the relationship with this cult. Like sometimes it requires being with people who show you any empathy whatsoever mm-hmm. to have any foundational standing to understand that the situation you're in right now is one that you're quote, not feeling held by, which is the thing that Pele keeps saying about, about Christian. Do you feel held by him?
2: Yeah, and Pele actually looks her in the eyes and Christian hardly ever does. Like he never, No. he just wants pushed to the side, pushed to the side. And Christian being burned in the end, that's the last part of, because we assume she has no extended family, It's never it doesn't really matter. I think that's supposed to be the truth. Uh, that's the last part of her old life. All of it is gone. Ari Oster compared the burning of the barn and everything is like burning your ex's belongings cathartically. And, uh, and I, I can understand people, de- yeah. I'm, I'm a different person, Um, I, I don't disagree with that and I can definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like causing damage when I leave a relationship, I just want even the emotion, like I don't need to burn someone's stuff, it's not going to make me feel better, I just need to have it all away from me, you know? So every- everybody deals with things differently, but <laughs> you know. But uh, I, I, like you were saying, there's so many moments with Danny that I think everyone's experienced, whether it's just because it's the end of the relationship and we're not at our best or we weren't in a healthy relationship uh, where we just explain away someone's behavior because we just can't let go yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and to the point of like what we saw in in foreshadowing a bit in with regard to how Danny's family functions is like this is what we would assume to be like an extremely codependent unit. This is how she knows how to relate to people. This is how she relates with her partner, which is like, I would rather be miserable in this thing because like, I kind of understand my relationship to this dynamic. than assume that when you are alone and outside of that dynamic, you will also be miserable there and you will absolutely like have shit that you need to deal with, but you probably won't be as miserable as dealing with Christian as your boyfriend.
1: mm. This was a movie I didn't see when it first came out because I think one of the many things that wasn't working for me about being on Twitter was that like the second a movie came out, it would become so thoroughly chewed over and discussed and memed and gifted that I was just like, I'm already tired of it. I already feel overwhelmed by the amount of talking that's happening and it feels hard to feel like you can experience something fully for the first time when you've already watched and like had this like group experience of everybody watching it for the first time before you. And so I feel like for that reason, and also my own general fear of new things, I avoided it (laughs) until last October. And when I watched it, I was like, holy shit, this is great. And it's always nice to like watch something that people talk about so much that you're like, this has to be overrated. And I was like, I think it's rated just right. And (laughs) I think one of the things that really made such a big impression on me was like, the successful creation of a truly creepy world and a society that like is not based on absurdity. You're not, I, I'm not as I so often am in horror movies derailed by thinking about how nonsensical everyone's motives are. Cause everyone's motives make perfect sense to me in this.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like I think that that's another thing from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's kind of a thing from the Hills Have Eyes. It's a thing. It's Mm -hmm. a thing that we see here where it's like, one of the scariest things imaginable, and this has to do with the interpersonal relationships, well, the romantic relationship, and the relationship with the cult in this case. The scariest thing imaginable is not necessarily being confronted with someone who's like, I'm going to do a bad thing to you. It's being confronted with someone who's like, I'm just doing what I got to do. And it makes sense with regard to my motivations. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking, I'm kind of looking at, I'm doing what we always do. And you get chewed up by that. I mean, obviously I don't want to get chewed up by anything, but there is yeah. something scary where you're like, oh, everyone thinks this is normal and I can't yeah. get out of here.
2: It's more
1: insidious. Yeah,
0: it is it is.
1: And that's what America's like. Not to be too political, but like every society that I can think of has some way or another of addressing the question of like, look, we do have to kill people from yeah. time to time. And in the United States, it proportionally more people are going to die than in horganton before their time yeah
0: total every day someone there's a mass shooting
1: or you know there's the military there's the death penalty there's you know the our refusal to provide medical care for political reasons
0: and let's assail children in the name of protecting them
1: by all means yeah
0: all of this stuff and then everyone's just like what it's not like that's what we do
1: and not only is it what we do but it's what we have to do
0: right and if you are a person who like is sensitive to how absolutely bananas that is it's even wilder to be in the face of it because everyone's just like no this is normal you're just going to deal with this this is just how it is and you're like fuck <laughs>
2: it's mm-hmm. too much it kind of adds it kind of relates very much to the i don't know if it's really a joke or because it's just true you know occult cult plus time equals religion um, you know we're used to it, so it doesn't seem that weird. Just like tragedy plus time equals comedy, it's one of yeah. our enduring
1: formulas. Force equals mass times acceleration. Cults plus time equal religion.
2: Because if we think about it, besides the fact that they bring other people in to kill a sacrifice, that's not good. And you know, but they live in a <laughs> obvious not not good guys. The free range
1: route, as Hannibal Lecter would say, yeah. you know, I mean, if we're only killing grad students, I don't know.
2: I'm like, well, if I heard there was that society and they make, you know, the 72 year olds voluntarily, supposedly jump off a cliff and all that stuff. I'm like, well, they're not bothering anybody else, I guess. It's probably that doesn't sound very flattering. I know. But I mean, if that existed as long if the part where they don't bring in outsiders to sacrifice, that didn't happen. Uh, I'd be like, well, like, they don't seem to be bothering anybody else. It's hard to say. I mean, I think that we are able to kind of explain things away if it has a reason, as you guys were saying. Hmm. Don't condone cults. Say, just want to make sure I say that. but Yeah,
1: that's good to get in front of the cult issue.
2: <laughs> I would
1: love for us to predict what we think is going to happen for Danny after the movie, because I like to think I about how, you know, when we have a, an ending of a movie and then a sequel, we often act as if like, yeah. And then the movie ended and I kept doing what I was doing in the movie for 40 years. and Here I am.
0: <laughs> Which is what happens in Top Gun Maverick, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. But that actually, that does make sense. But in this case, I think that Danny was in this cult for like three years I like it, and then got really, you know, vitamin deficient or something and like spent the weekend going to see or a week seeing specialists in stockholm and then it was like oh i don't want to be in this cult this is weird and then she just left i like that that's the best ending and now she's working at a goat yoga place in minneapolis
2: beautiful what do you guys think i'd leave the cult at 71 no i'm just kidding <laughs> no that's that's actually the best ending that she kind of had that the cult is kind of a transitional relationship if you will you know it's a transitional cult who among us
0: no i agree
1: Emma, i would just love to know like what it was like for you to experience this movie for the first time that's
0: a great question
2: I watched it in theaters and I loved it immediately and I, it's one of those movies that there's so much to it that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to fully process it until I watched it a second time. So Mm -hmm. I, it was one of those films that I'm like, okay, I know that I don't get everything just yet. And then when I watched it a second time, it was knowing what was going to happen, not just being caught up in like, what's going to happen. Uh, I just I liked it even more and seeing all the layers and details to everything within it and even seeing her sister's face went uh, in the trees and there's her sister mm-hmm. shows up quite a bit in in, in the nature and I'm um, there's still mm-hmm. stuff that I'm sure I've missed and I, I always love that about a movie.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is a movie whose you understand the story as you're watching it. The story is not that complex but the, the, the execution and the things you notice along the way when you know what this is all leading to are very rewarding. And it feels like, I don't know, it's something that you can enjoy purely as a horror movie and as a like, oh, my God, that would be so scary. And using the kind of archetypal slasher characters, like you said, and kind of playing with that formula and also to think about relationships and life and sort of, again, like the horror of being lonely in a relationship, the horror of grief
2: I actually like the theatrical cut more because it's I feel like it's Mm. the directorial cut feels like it explains more about their relationship. Mm. And I I like it a little bit more simple.
1: Yeah. We love to be shown.
2: It feels like our hand is being held a little less.
1: I love it when the director lets go of my hand in a crowd (laughs) and to me like. Having just seen The Wicker Man, which is part of why I've been bringing it up so much, it was a movie that seeing it in a theater and an expanded cut that kind of brings you into more of the imagery of this world, like got under my skin the same way that Midsommar does. And I feel like one of the reasons that you make movies is because you can do things communicating with images that both augment what you're doing with language and with the rest of your storytelling, but also do something that nothing else can do. And if you're not using movies or whatever else whatever other visual medium for that then you know why are you even making movies
0: yeah and this is what you know and this this is such a bigger conversation but like this is what we're faced with right now with like hollywood against (sighs) the creative class the
1: robots they just want johnny five to write all our movies now
0: exactly like hollywood's idea is like you make a spectacular image and turn it into millions of dollars and it does not matter how you do it and it turns out that, um, you know, artistry is incredibly important in making sure your images can stand on something outside of just being spectacular.
1: I want the robots to make art once they're drawing, you know, once they're making something autobiographical.
2: If it's like art about <laughs> being a robot, that's what I want. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, when I heard when I first watched the, the movie, I didn't know Ari Aster wrote this particularly about a breakup uh, inspired by a breakup and put it within this this, this world of a, uh, folk horror movie. Um, but if it's like a robot, like, well, I'm like, a robot doesn't know what a breakup's like. When I hear Ari Aster wrote about a breakup, I'm like, that's so true. That's messed up. And I like, that's messed up. And I like it. I mean, it kind of, without having the human experience, what is a story mean? I mean, I I don't know, Quentin Tarantino, for an example. I have neutral feelings. I have no strong feelings one way or the other about Quentin Tarantino. But, you know, knowing that he's a person that really loves film and puts a lot of different references and images that make he makes his own in his films, is, is it's cute. You know, I'm a lover of film. But if it's just a robot that's throwing a bunch of stuff together, it just doesn't feel like anything, you
0: know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want it.
2: Alex...
1: What is it, Sarah? We know that Pele's parents burned in a fire.
0: <laughs> yeah? But who's the daddy? Who's the daddy? That's a great... I'm, gl- I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I don't know. My God. I don't... I mean, uh, the obvious answer is, is our friend Florence that's Mm, that's Danny uh, uh, Danny the last movie star I'm not the last movie star as I call her but I don't like who's a sideways who's a sideways I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh Pele in this case we don't know what his motivation is necessarily. We don't know sort of like if he's doing, I don't know much about what has motivated him to bring these bring these folks in outside of the fact that obviously he's part of this group. He's trying to keep the group going. I don't know how honest or forthcoming he was or whatever, et cetera. It's seemingly sneaky. But I do appreciate that he is of the group of Danny's friends, the only person who treats Danny like a human being. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> low-hanging low, a, a low-hanging fruit of a of a compliment but he is and maybe it's manipulative to keep her in i don't know but he is of the people who talk with danny of christian's friends the only one that seems to regard her like a human being and i uh yeah good job billy thanks for that mm-hmm. what about you emma uh, i was i actually tear up a little bit
2: with uh, bjorn anderson Mm. um the mm-hmm. symbolism of like him letting go and then what was the cause of his pain in his personal life being what's destroyed dis- like destroyed and ends his life
0: i love it sarah marshall what's your take
1: i'm gonna say is josh or mark cheaty? Cheaty is
0: uh, josh
1: josh okay i'm gonna say josh because he's wearing new balances nothing daddier than that and that moment when i saw those new balances made me think my god it could happen to me
2: yeah i mean he actually is there with a purpose and actually cares about everything he's a relatable character
1: but then he's photographing the sacred smudges so we all make mistakes
2: you know
0: (laughs) we do That's true Emma, thank you so much for joining us. How can people find you if they want to know, uh, hear you talk about these sorts of things more?
2: So when it comes to basic social media, I'm Emma of The Impact, if I'm there. But I also am part of a regular, we're taking a summer break this month, but part of a regular podcast called the Let Us In podcast that I do with my friend Justine and Crystal. We talk uh, about horror movies. We have a YouTube channel, so look for the Let Us In podcast. On my social medias, I have a link tree to our podcast. And
0: stuff. So I'm around. <laughs> well, thank you so much for bringing us Midsummer. It was a blast.
1: Thank you so much for everything, Skull. Skull.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm a truck Muller for joining us on this lovely conversation about Midsummer, thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the episode and editing, thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode as well thank you to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make our episode sound so sweet we appreciate you Lesh thank you for listening we have some uh, mermaid episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks this is going to be this will be a good time so buckle up for that, buckle up your fin or however you might do that I think that's it remember you can find us on instagram you can find us on what used to be known as twitter you can find us on blue sky where you are good pod or you are good depending on what's going on let us know how you're doing over there find us on patreon and uh, apple podcast subscriptions where you can support the show and get bonus episodes and uh, stay tuned for some mermaid chats next week and the following week thanks for being here we really appreciate you you my friend are good